When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. In today's show, we cover the five biggest news stories from the world of Formula One, which this week are... The fight against online abuse. What happens in Vegas doesn't necessarily stay in Vegas. It's a spring weekend in Brazil, but the format has to change. Vettel opens up on his retirement, and are Mercedes set for a return to form? Welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Every Wednesday we update you on everything you need to know from the world of F1. We are the Formula Nerds news team. Make sure you keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at formulanerds.com. I'm James, thanks for joining me. And also joining me this week is, of course, Sam. We missed you last week, Sam. How's it going? I miss you too. Um, Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. How you doing? I'm all right, I'm all right. And Abby, you weren't away last week but i missed you anyway for the last few days <laughs> how's oh, it going thank you james i missed you too it's good i'm looking forward to this new show which you will reveal now why it will be an exciting show well yes uh finally completing the panel the man the myth the morgan don't call it a comeback but bridge is back so i guess there's only one question to ask bridge have you been keeping it 100? I have absolutely been keeping it 100. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to be back. It's been, a, it's been a while. But yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to see you all. So yeah, of course, I'll be keeping it 100. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, and yeah, of course, <laughs> I say I've missed Abby. She's been away for four days. I've missed you too. It's been far, far too long. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's crack on. Uh, we have to start with something serious though today, and that is online abuse. 
So FIA President Mohammed Ben Salem has spoken out in a piece published on motorsport.com saying he's determined to do something about an issue which has become a blight on our sport, in his words, with the level of sustained toxicity having reached crisis point. This comes in the wake of abuse towards steward Sylvia Bellot and Red Bull strategist Hannah Schmitz. Ben Salem went on to say, you of course expect people to disagree with the decisions you make, but you should expect that those opinions and comments are respectful. This is increasingly rare. So what's the best way to approach this, in your guys' opinion? I think in this day and age, it's horrible that we're still dealing with online abuse. Obviously, social media kind of feeds the abuse, especially Twitter and Instagram. You can type something really quickly and it will be out there for the whole world to see. And it is a shame that Sylvia and Hannah have been targets because... In F1, you are going to disagree with each other. We know that from this podcast. We have Hamilton versus Max fans. People are going to have their own opinions. And the FIA have taken some steps. They're communicating with social media platforms. They're working with an AI company to help eradicate and detect abuse. But they need to make sure that these plans work. I think it's really difficult to actually be able to completely erase the abuse because That is a tough job in itself, but we need to make sure that there are steps in place for the abuse to be monitored, for it to be eradicated, because it is such a shame to see people in the FIA and in F1 as a whole being targeted because people disagree with the decisions that that they make. Or like Hannah is excelling at Red Bull in her job, but people dislike her because of it and Sylvia she made a decision to reinstate Alonso's p7 finish in Austin and people disagree with it you can disagree with it but you don't have to target them with online abuse and death threats absolutely right and I think no matter what steps they take it just needs to be zero tolerance it that's that's the bottom line um if you can put a name to someone, you know, if, if there is someone out there that's, you know, and you know who's behind the death threats or the abuse, they need to have a ban. You know, they need to have a ban from social media, a ban from the races. They need, there needs to be a precedent set because then, you know, like you said, Abby, you're not, you're never going to get rid of it full time. It's impossible, unfortunately. But yeah, it, it, a precedent needs to be set, first of all. Yeah. I mean, it's deplorable. Uh, I feel like that should go go without saying but the abuse directed at officials you know or drivers like Nicholas Latifi I've already spoken before about how much of an impact that has clearly had on him this year and he's ended up losing his seat whether or not that has a a smaller or, or larger factor in that who knows but it's not just at race officials and those who work within the sport the whole online culture within F1 on social media has just gone totally awry. Um, you know, is it a drive to survive generation thing? You, you could argue that to some extent it is because that has brought younger fans, new fans to the sport. It's changed. Uh, ben Hunt at The Sun made a very good point that it's basically become almost football-like in the territorialism. Um, and it yeah doesn't really represent how F1 was conducted fan base to fan base. We are in the statement, the FIA says we have entered into a dialogue with social media platforms to play their part. And we are beginning work with government and fellow sports governing bodies to bring them together to make strong commitments for joint action. 
So as Abby mentioned, they're commissioning research uh, via the FIA University and they've partnered with Arwen.ai, which will, yeah, the plan is to utilize their AI software to detect and eradicate abusive content. So it's certainly a start. Um, Do we think it's enough? I think the social media element working hand in hand with those platforms is in fact the most crucial part because I don't think many of these online trolls or those who get into these heated debates online. And let's face it, a lot of it that we see on Twitter is just fan to fan. And I would I would probably guess that most of those people don't go to races. And obviously, fans at races, that's a whole other issue in itself. Clearly, this is multifaceted. Um, so there needs to be a kind of real central change in the culture surrounding F1. Yeah, I mean, you, you said earlier about Drive to Survive. I think it goes far deeper than that. Um, it's just the way social media has been going in recent years. And now that a certain somebody has brought Twitter and fired all the moderators, we're going to be really up against it. Uh, and unfortunately, you could say the FIA isn't totally innocent in all of it either. I mean, it, it's been some of their decisions that have really fueled the garbage fire that is F1 social media at the moment. But let's move on to something else with which those on social media have largely taken umbrage, or rather somewhere, Bridge. Well, yeah, it's been a it's been a very controversial uh, weekend, but we've had uh, the Las Vegas Grand Prix Fan Fest, obviously, which was our F1's, F1's first visit uh, to the desert. Uh, multiple demo runs done by Lewis Hamilton and Sergio Perez, um, which were nice little things for fans to go out and go out and watch. Uh, and there was also announced it was a new paddock building, uh, a state-of-the-art $500 million facility, which will be the hub of all activity uh, when F1 visits there next next year in 2023. Now, I have several problems with it. <laughs> Does anyone else have a problem with it before I, I start? I mean, you, you crack on first, uh, you know, Okay, you, you go for it. I mean... I won't go too much into the the event itself. I, th- I think it was very, very American. Let's say that uh, great atmosphere. Obviously, um, you know, the Grand Prix itself, the Las Vegas Grand Prix itself, is going to be a great spectacle, and that is the major problem with it because it's not built. The whole run up is not built for Formula One. It's not built for the people or, or, you know, the guys in the seats who are going around and actually racing. It's not built for them. It's built for this new drive to survive era of fans who want, who just want to go to a race and, you know, they, they might not know a lot about Formula One, but it's a cool place to go and maybe see a car fly by at 200 miles an hour. That's the only reason that this is going on. We own, we have already two races in the US one of them is fantastic. Cota has brought us great races in the past. It brings us everything we need from a race in America. You know, everything is massive. Everything is that ma- you know the American flag there at Cota this year was tremendous. That even that in itself was amazing. Yeah, the crowd's energy, awesome. That's all we need from America. Miami is is exactly what we're going to see at Las Vegas. It was another spectacle. You know, yes, they made an absolute hash of the marina. But that was just, that was the bottom, that was the the least of anyone's mistakes. Like it was just, the racing was awful, you know, and it was, 
it, the Formula One is developing a very strong American accent. See, I don't have a problem with three Grand Prix in the US or five in, in Northern America, because let's face it, geographically, that makes sense. We have, what, 11, 12, 13, however many in Europe? And it's you know a similar geographical size, maybe? Don't know. Any geographers listening? You know, help us out at info. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely bigger. It's definitely yeah. bigger. <laughs> well, Unless okay, we're well, counting then, Russia. But my point, my point stands, right? And also, you've got 50 states... There's lots of different culture, lots of different geography across that country. So that that doesn't bother me too much. The Super Bowl feel of Miami, that was a bit much. And it's going to be on steroids comparatively in, in Vegas. For me, the biggest issue, there's that Sky advert or little section bit that Martin Brundle talks about camping being an affordable entry point for fans um, at Grand Prix races. The fact that you have to have an alternative like camping as the affordable, it should be affordable, affordable anyway. And I don't know if you guys have seen the prices for hotels in Vegas over the weekend. It's something like 733% up on the usual prices of hotel rooms, which actually aren't usually as extortionate as you'd think in Vegas. But the average fan has been totally costed out of this. That is my main argument against the Las Vegas Grand Prix because you hear Las Vegas Grand Prix and, and it does get you excited for it. A Grand Prix in Sin City sounds amazing, but these prices are so insane. Like a ticket for for the weekend, $500 it started at. It went up to at least $10,000 I saw somewhere, which I get the like F1 is growing in America, the audience is growing, which is great. And you can have all these other races. But at the end of the day, having prices like this for tickets, for accommodation, and it's if you live in Europe and that, it's not cheap to get to America anyway. So if you pile all these prices up, you kind of alienate a whole audience because you can't afford it. And then there are people who want to go to a Grand Prix because they enjoy Formula One. They enjoy seeing the drivers race. They actually enjoy what Formula One is about but they might not be able to afford to actually go. So then you'll get these rich people who aren't necessarily that interested in it, just going for the sake of the spectacle. And I get that everything in Las Vegas is extravagant and big and Formula One need to make their own statement in Las Vegas, but something is just doesn't sit right with me about how expensive and how showy everything is about it. I mean, just to build off what Abby said, um, to sit in a grandstand at the moment, I've just checked the prices, is $2,500 to sit in a grandstand. Just for a three-day weekend, it's $2,500. I can live with it if it's a good track and if it's a good race, and therefore we have good racing. Miami wasn't up to scratch, in my opinion, race-wise. Um, but admittedly, we've only had one, so you, you, know, you need to give it a little bit more time. But we already have these legacy races on the calendar, like Monaco, where the racing isn't great. We don't need new venues where the racing isn't great as well. I mean, I don't know if you guys have actually seen the track layout, but if you asked a three-year-old me to draw a square, that's literally what the Las Vegas Grand Prix is. And I, I can't, you can't blame it on it because America is full of blocks. It's just full of blocks, straight roads, you know, and if we're building a so-called street circuit in Las Vegas, that's what it's going to follow. 
yeah, like they've they've really forced in obviously getting down the strip. That was non-negotiable, I think, in the plan for for this Vegas Grand Prix. And I mean, we've got enough tracks with very long straights. And then, yeah, like you say, there's so little else going on in that track. Miami's already Monaco, but in the US, this just feels like it's going to be the same again. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, another recent addition to Formula One, which might not be for everyone. I mean, I feel like it's probably divisive on this panel alone. Are the ever, ever controversial subject of sprint races and whether or not they add or detract from the sport? So this week, we are heading to Brazil and we're heading to the, for the final sprint race of the season. Heading into that event, Max Verstappen has come out and been quite uh, outspoken about how they don't really add anything to for him. Uh, he doesn't view them as a real race. And actually, he just kind of goes around trying not to pick up damage and also just trying to stay stay in the top three, make sure he picks up as many points as he can. But you're not really kind of fully going for it because it's not the Grand Prix points. And it's, yeah, it's, I don't know, not quite the finished product um, for him. Uh, so... First of all, there's 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 a second half to this because everyone's been talking about it, it seems. But what are your, your thoughts on uh, on Verstappen's view? I mean, I 100% agree with him. I mean, I've always had the exact same view on sprint races. If you're going to add an extra race and you've got to make it worth it, you have to make it, from a viewing point of view, is one thing. But for the teams, you have to make it worth it. So you have to either add more points, you know, force drivers to be a bit more risky with it. Otherwise, it's just going to be a DRS train and you need to pick, you know, the right circuits. I think Brazil is one of the right circuits for a sprint race. I think last year proved that. But Imola? Why did we go to Imola and have a sprint race where it's really difficult to overtake? And the whole point of adding a sprint race is to promote overtaking. It just it, Some of the decisions towards sprint races don't make sense. But And I don't think adding three more next year is going to, help anything well one of the ones that they were going to have as a sprint race this year was Zandvoort which for me is just like oh, you might as well make Monaco a sprint race yeah what's the point <laughs> what's the point well when I look back at the sprint races we have had the only one that like stands out is Brazil and I think a large like I love Brazil that's my favourite track and it is a good track like Bridge said for a sprint race but I think a large part that played into the 2021 sprint race for that was Hamilton starting at the back. He had something to fight for. He needed to gain places because he was battling Max for the championship. And I think when drivers aren't out of position, when you kind of get a normal grid with Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari up front and Williams and Haas and Aston at the back and that, it can get quite tedious. And I think the drivers... Like Max said, I do agree. They need something to fight for because they're not going to risk it during a sprint race for only a few points. So I do think they need to 
spice it up in some way to make it more worthwhile for the drivers themselves. I know reverse grids have been shot down in the past, but what would you guys say to a reverse grid sprint race? No. I mean... <laughs> All right, Sam, at least give it a chance. <laughs> I, I, at this point, I like, why not trial it? Like, I don't, I don't agree with it, but I don't agree with sprint races in general. I remember like way back, we were talking about mixing it up by going to somewhere like uh, Bahrain and using the, the outer ring track just to really differentiate it because uh, yeah, like as we've said a million times, it just acts as a spoiler for the first third of the race. It's just a longer race with a, a break of 24 hours in it. So at this point, yeah, but it's still, there are so many kind of permutations that they can exploit and that they're wary of being exploited by the teams are teams who are maybe going to qualify in 12th, going to sack it off to have a chance at a win in the sprint race. And then you just, it gets too messy. What if I meet you halfway here, Bridge? What if, like an F2 and F3, there is a partial reserve uh, reverse grid? So, say the top 10 are flipped. Would yeah. that? I'll, I'll meet you halfway on that one. But I think another problem is the sprint race qualifying element. Because I think if we did, if you did a full reverse grid, and I think other, I think drivers and maybe Gunter Steiner have already said this. Have it not affect the race on Sunday. Have it not affect anything that happens on Sunday, because then, you know, Max Verstappen might go, you know, for a for an absolute bomber of a move down the inside into turn one. Well, funnily, you mentioned Gunter Steiner there, Bridge, uh, because he has come out this week and he's he's gone one step further. He's actually proposed a new ish qualifying format for those sprint race weekends. Well, it would be new for the sprint race weekends. He has suggested that you take away that second free practice session on the Saturday morning, which is a lame duck. Um, It's, yeah, totally pointless. And he thinks that that should be a second qualifying session. So Friday evening qualifying for the sprint race, Saturday morning qualifying for the Grand Prix, sprint race on the Saturday afternoon, and then obviously the Grand Prix on Sunday as per usual. I think he could be onto something here. Tremendous idea from Gunter. I agree. I'll never disagree with Gunter Steiner. I'm just glad you mentioned him because otherwise my Hass pun at the top of the show made no sense. So thanks for bringing that back. But yeah, one driver who won't have to deal with any more sprints after this weekend is Sebastian Vettel. And the four-time world champion's been opening up a bit on his retirement and future plans. When asked what he has planned for next season's opening race in Bahrain, he said, I'm not sure I want to watch the race at all. I want to choose the path of detachment, distance myself and realise there are enough other exciting things. That's why I'm definitely not going to be standing in front of the camera at the first race as an expert with a microphone in my hand and giving my two cents. So it seems we won't be seeing much of Seb for a while, at least after Abu Dhabi. Uh, is everyone going to miss him? Oh, for sure. Definitely. It is sad that Seb is leaving, but I feel like the time, the right, it's the right time for him to leave personally and professionally. He has been doing so much in Formula One and outside of it with the world and politics and everything in general. And I think his family have played a large part in it. He said that he's found it more difficult to actually do right by them this year, which we've also seen Sergio Perez comment on the growing calendar affecting his family life as well. But I was shocked that Seb is kind of going like no F1 at all. But I feel like that could be good for him 
He can explore different avenues, do everything. We saw him race in the race of champions. He might end up in a different area of motorsport, but I will definitely, definitely miss Sebastian Vettel on the grid. I get the impression that he's going to at least for a while have a bit of a clean break. And I think I, I think that's the right thing. I think when you don't, when you retire and then straight away move into a, a pundit role, you don't get that separation you need. You don't get that kind of closure, I don't think. And he has actually said that he can't rule out a return in the future. So is he going to louder it or Schumacher it or Alonso it? As I mean, a, there's a, a history here. As a fan of comebacks myself, Sam, I'm, telling you, I'm oh. telling you right now that man I'm is coming back. You. He is coming He is coming back. Oh, we've got our first hot take. A hundred percent. I was waiting. Oh, is this, we've, is this the We've been agreeing thing? on everything. 100%. You know, we've got bridge back and we've all just Look. been like, oh yeah, everything's crap, isn't it? No. no. It's because we've missed him. <laughs> he is coming back. I'm telling you right now, that Audi lineup will be Mick Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel. I'm telling you right okay, now. Okay, you're half wrong. It, it could be Vettel. It won't be Schumacher. He won't be able to hold on to his career for that long. He's the all, he's the all German boy. Who else? You might as well... Look, Nico Hulkenberg, he, you know, you, you Actually, know. Yeah. <laughs> let's face it, <laughs> he's going to be announced this week. So, yeah, honestly, who knows? I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, I'll miss Seb for the meantime, but he's coming back. And uh, the the second seat will be the Formula Nerds fan favourite or panel favourite, Valtteri Bottas. He'll <laughs> want to stick around for that project. I wouldn't say he's the panel favourite, <laughs> more like Sam's favourite. Well, I thought I'd speak by decree. <laughs> well, whatever we think of Bottas, I think it's not really up for debate that Seb is the king of F1 helmet designs and he will be to the end. He's got a, a special contest going on for his last ever lid in Abu Dhabi. So make sure to head over to finallap.de if you fancy bidding to get your picture on that helmet. Of course, all proceeds are going towards environmental projects. But from Abu Dhabi this year to a team that has been struggling ever since Abu Dhabi last year, or at least the final lap. Yeah, so obviously Mercedes had a bit of a rocky start to 2022. It certainly didn't go their way, but they have kind of shown their strength in recent races. They've done quite well. But Toto Wolff admitted that the team as a whole lost eight to 10 months in terms of development because of a design error that they made 10 months ago. And also the poor poising issue, other other teams did suffer from that, but Mercedes were the ones who suffered from it predominantly. And trying to fix that issue was the major cause of their setback, especially with Red Bull and Ferrari going straight ahead. And Andrew Shoflin, the trackside engineering director for Mercedes, said that whilst they don't have the fastest car and whilst they're not where they want to be, it does feel like they're now in the race with the front of the pack, which we've seen with Hamilton battling Verstappen and Leclerc in recent races. But they Mercedes feel like they are set for a comeback. They're on a clear path to come back to being that strong, dominant team that we know. Sam, you look Don't like you have something to say. Don't call it a comeback, Abby. <laughs> we've, we've been through this multiple times this episode. But surely, they're, I mean, are they not going to now be almost permanently eight to ten months behind the curve or their curve for the rest of this, these regulations. Well, you say that, but reportedly Hamilton has said that Mercedes have a North Star for their 2023 car. And the phrase North Star kind of 
it sounds very positive and hopeful that they've kind of nailed an aspect of the car, but I don't know. Right. Yeah. I just, I I, it's, it's, it's a narrative. I think, I think Mercedes are destined to go back to the front. I don't, I, I can't see anything. I can't see a single. Netflix well, there's the bridge jinx. I mean, they're just the same as Verstappen was never going to win another world title. I assume Mercedes will start next year in last. Well, I mean, I didn't know they cheat to be fair, but, um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't realize that was your get out. I, I didn't think about that angle. Yeah, yeah. But, um, there's, there's always an exit clause. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you know, going back to Las Vegas, I won't, you know, I won't slate it for too long, but having choosing Mercedes, you know, cause you know, both Mercedes drivers were there and to set it off. And, you know, the, the whole narrative was, you know, we're coming back and we're going to win the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Like that was the narrative. Crossfield was there giving it the big one. Lewis Hamilton wouldn't be sticking around if he wasn't racing from the front. Yeah, but also Lewis Hamilton is the face of Formula One. It makes sense that he's there. And, you know, you might as well chuck George in too for, for good measure. But also, whilst we're on this, how good did the W12 look with this year's livery? Uh, I, I still, I miss the black Mercedes personally. I mean, I love the black Mercedes. It looked good. I mean, the black Mercedes. Okay, so what, it looks more better. importantly. What was your opinion on the neons? Uh, a bit gimmicky, but fitting for Vegas. Yeah, I think. I think honestly, I I, I can see them saying, right, you got to put the neon if you're going to race at Vegas. Like, I, I feel like the FIA are going to come in like two weeks before, upset the all the aerodynamic departments, and just be like, no, you have to put you have to put it on. They could put they could put them on the the barge strip at the bottom of the car. You, you could no, do it. <laughs> we already know that they've been messing about with those. So okay, well, yeah, you just see the lights like moving around. You're like, mm, not sure about yeah. this. Um, but yeah, the W12's original livery was spectacular. But I do think the W13 livery looks better on the W12. Big important point to, to potentially end the show James if you've got anything to get me Abby something Sorry. to get me out of jail here another <laughs> big important point um, is that Hamilton officially received his honorary Brazilian citizenship this week so he is officially an honorary Brazilian citizen which is great leading into the Brazilian Grand Prix weekend I, I love how he has been embraced by Brazil especially given what happened in 2008 obviously it's not his fault but you'd think that there would be this kind of, you know, anti-Hamilton-ness because of the 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 way that he pipped Massa to the title there. I thought you were going to say, especially considering a, a certain three-time world champion who will remain nameless. I, I no. bet he really enjoyed watching Lewis get his uh, honorary citizenship. I like to think it was um, done <laughs> done because of that, uh, as a little kind of like, you know, you don't speak for us. Quick, quick diversion, just to, just to end the show. Um, I, I did write an article, you know, on on this. So if you want to read the full thing, go to formulas.com. But um, do you think, just a quick question, obviously Hamilton's history with Brazil, his recent citizenship, do you think if he wins this weekend, this coming weekend, beats Max Verstappen and that dominant Red Bull, it will be... I think his greatest win of his career. It depends so, on the circumstances. So far. But 
it would be a great storyline, a great narrative. And I don't want to go to Ted Kravitz here and start talking about uh, scripts and, you know, we don't want to get cancelled by Red Bull. But it, it would be a, a very satisfying way to keep up that uh, one win every season record, yeah. Technically, it might be his his best win of his career. You could make that argument, but context is everything. And that win last year, with everything on the line, you just can't beat it. There's just no way they will top it. It's a nice. It's a nice story. I think you, you're big I on the narratives, so, aren't you? I'm big on narratives, but I just think, I think especially, I don't like promoting it, but obviously there is a big Max and Lewis war. You know, they're two camps warring against each other. In his most dominant season, if if Lewis Hamilton won in a in a vastly slower car, it's a nice nice story. And on that bombshell, I think we'd have to call it a day. Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to head over to FormulaNerds.com and all the Formula Nerds socials to find out the latest on these and any other stories, as well as features, quizzes, anything else a motorsport nerd could want. And then go and check out the Cut to the Race podcast. This weekend, we'll of course be reviewing the Sao Paulo Grand Prix and probably playing some more ridiculous games dreamt up by Ollie. But until then, Sam, Abby, Bridge, thank you for joining me. I've, I've, you know what? I forgot it. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Oh yeah, that's the one. Never a chill. Very much for having me back. It's been great. <laughs> okay, <bridge. And> there, <laughs> yeah. There's uh, the clue that Bridge to... hasn't been listening to the outros recently. <laughs> I mean, it didn't rhyme, but I quite enjoyed it anyway. Thanks, yeah. guys. See you next time. You're listening to the Come to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Podcast Network.